as you know, most of you know, we're, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. This is our, uh, gosh, this is our fourth Sunday already. We've got a wee while to go. We're going to be here till the end of June, um, but it's really, really good. Um, so we saw kind of the first week that Jesus was going around. He was, he was um, healing people. He was um, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, this, this thing called the gospel of the kingdom, which is the good news that, that Jesus has come to, to renew the world and to make the world how it was originally intended by God to be. And so we see that he's laying out this way for us to flourish as human beings. Um, and the last two weeks, we looked at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus starts with these kind of eight statements of blessing, like these eight ways to flourish uh, called the Beatitudes, um, and Chris, Chris did a great job last week of unpacking the second half of those. And, and really the thing that stuck with me about what he was saying was how different we are, right? Um, and we were, I was, we were having lunch with them yesterday and he was just saying that um, it, they have this phrase in their church, it was like, keep Christianity weird. So you know, like you have keep Portland weird or whatever, or, or is it keep Austin weird? Whatever one South by Southwest is in. And it's like, keep Austin weird. And uh, it, in their church, they say, keep Christianity weird. Because we are meant to be weird, right? We're a weird bunch, um, and we're supposed to be different from the world. We're part of this upside-down kingdom uh, that is completely different to the world. So it values things that the world doesn't value and, and doesn't give value to things that the world does value. Um, and so in this next section, um, Jesus, he, he, he start, he's previously been talking about the kingdom. And he's saying, this is what the kingdom is like, and this is what people who, who live in the kingdom are like. You have all these characteristics. And now he turns... Uh, the attention to his disciples. So remember that he's went up this mountain, he sat down, he's began to teach, and he's teaching his disciples. But when we get to the end of the sermon, we're going to realize, this is a spoiler, we're going to realize there's a whole big massive crowd there. So all these people just couldn't keep away from Jesus. And some people think that he went up the mountain to get away from the people, and he wanted to just speak to his disciples. But I reckon there's no way that Jesus didn't know that like a whole, like hundreds of people were going to follow him. So he's preaching to a big crowd here. And he's saying, you've heard what the people of the kingdom are like, right? So the people of the kingdom, that's us, Christians, we're poor in spirit, right? We realize our need for God. We, we mourn over our own sin. We realize just how sinful we are. We're meek. We walk with humility. We hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the goodness of God. Uh, the people of the kingdom are merciful. They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers. And they're persecuted because they love Jesus. And Jesus is saying, these are the things that characterize my followers, these are the things that they're known for. So that even should be a challenge within itself. Are, are, are we known for, for those things? And now he starts here into the, what I would call the, 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 the meat of the sermon. And he turns the attention to his disciples. He says, that's what the kingdom is like. Now, this is the effect you're going to have if you're living in this way. This is the, this is the effect that you're going to have on, in the world, on the world. He gives us a vision for the kind of influence that we have, the kind of effect that we're going to have on the world. So if you love Jesus, if you call him Lord, as, as most of us in this room do, if we are Christian, that's about giving Jesus his rightful place as Lord. You believe that, that, that he died and rose again, that he, uh, is, is, he is the king and judge of the world, then you're going to look very, very different to the rest of the world. You're going to look very different to other people around you, and that's going to have an effect. So that's kind of the preamble. Let me pray for us and ask for God's help again, um, and then we'll get into just exactly seeing what Jesus has to say to us this morning. Father, uh, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that these words that, that Matthew wrote down 2,000 years ago um, are still alive and are speaking to us this morning. Thank you that your word is, is, is living and active, that it cuts through to the very depths and core of our being. So Lord, help us, give us ears to hear you this morning. And I pray that these wouldn't be my words, but they would be your words. We pray that you would speak to us and cause us to have an effect uh, in the world that you've put us here for. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about... <laughs> Sometimes I do, sometimes I'll work in, a, do, you know, do you know District on the Ormer Road? It's a District on the Ormer Road, they have a bench seat along the window and sometimes I'll work in there and I'll have my laptop set up and it's a good place to work because there's lots of distractions so I'll just sit and watch people go by and what I realized was that when I was looking at people I would, maybe you do this in airports or something, I do it all the time, you're like, oh they're probably a doctor or they're probably a you know, banker or they're probably, you know, whatever and then I was thinking, well this is kind of what this, I wonder what people think of us when they see us. So when somebody sees you walking down the street, apart from your amazing good looks, obviously, what do they see, right? Do they see a young person? Do they see an old person? 
Do they see a sporty person? Do they see a professional person? Do they see a musician? Do they see a hipster? (laughs) Too many jokes. But even though people make all these judgments on their first looks, it's really hard to tell a lot about someone based on just looking at them. But what about when when somebody meets you for the first time and has a conversation with you? What do they see then? Do they see a kind person? Do they see a rude person? Maybe they see an impatient person or they see a polite person. But what about when they get to know you a bit more? What about when they move in next door to you? And what about when their kids go to the same school as your kids? Or, or, Or what about when you work together and you see these people all the time? What do they see then? Maybe they know you go to church. Maybe they know you go to church because when they ask you about your weekend, you say, well, I was at church. Or maybe they just notice that your car's not there two hours on a Sunday morning and they put two and two together. But I think Jesus is getting at something a lot deeper than that. See, I wonder how many of us could honestly say to ourselves that when people around us experience us and all the ways that we're different to them, that it causes them to worship, to worship Jesus. That it causes them to give glory to God. Because that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. Being a follower of Jesus in the world is, is much more than our, our friends and our neighbors knowing that we go to church for a couple of hours in a week. As far as Jesus is concerned, his followers are to be so different from the world that their difference to the world has an effect on the world, and the effect is that people give glory to God. So this is what Jesus is saying this morning. This is the main point of our message this morning. So listen to this. As followers of Jesus, we need to let the world experience our distinctiveness so that God will be glorified. Let me say that again. As followers of Jesus, we need to let the world experience our distinctiveness so that God will be glorified. How many of us could honestly say that to ourselves? That they experience in such a way that they, they give glory to God. It seems like, a, seems like a big call, doesn't it? Seems like a lot to take on board. It seems massive. It seems impossible. And it is. So how on earth do we do this? Well, Jesus gives us two metaphors to kind of illustrate the effect that we're supposed to have on the world, Right? He uses salt and light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Um, and he uses these two metaphors to describe what the people of God are like. But, but even more so, he uses uh, salt and light, I think, to describe the effect that we're going to have on the world. You see, salt and light have very clear effects on the world, on things that they're around. And when we read this, it probably doesn't hit home as far hard as it did for the disciples who were hearing this 2,000 years ago, right? Because, I mean, salt's a pretty insignificant thing, right? It sits in the cupboard, and you only bring it out when you want to put it on your chips or you want to put it in your cooking. And light doesn't really grab our attention, does it? Because we have light 24-7. We just flick a switch, and there we go. We take it for granted. So if we, but if we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples who were hearing this 2,000 years ago, it's completely different. This would have grabbed their attention. You see, in Jesus' time, salt was really, really valuable. Uh, in the Roman marketplace, salt was used as currency. That's how valuable it was. Um, in ancient times, nations would trade in salt. That's how valuable it was. It was so valuable that Roman soldiers were, got part of their wages in salt. That's actually where we get the word salary from. Sal is the, the word for salt, salary, because they were paid in salt. It was so highly valued that its production was, was legally restricted, right? Not just anyone could, 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 could make up salt and sell it, make up salt. But you know what I mean? Get salt from the ground or the sea and sell it. And so when Jesus says to the disciples, you're the salt of the earth, their ears would have pricked up. He's saying, you have all these characteristics in the Beatitudes, and because of that, you're of great value to the world. You actually have worth in the world. You have something to add to the world. And it's the same with light. So they didn't have, obviously, I don't need to say this, but they didn't have electricity 2,000 years ago. There were no street lights. They couldn't just flip the switch. If they woke up in the middle of the night, they couldn't just reach out and turn on the bedside lamp. They had, they had small clay um, lamps, they were a bit, like a, a bit like a bowl with a lid on it and a wee spout. And they were filled with olive oil. And they burnt the olive oil. And, and it gave off a small amount of light. But the oil was expensive. And so it was really, really costly to have light. 
And there's probably a whole sermon to do on the fact that there's a cost to being a light in the darkness. <laughs> but that's not today's sermon. Light was extremely valuable. And so Jesus, uh, these are the things that Jesus is using to describe his people and the effect that they have on the world. And there's a few things I think Jesus is trying to tell us. And the first thing that Jesus is trying to tell us, this is our first lesson this morning, it'll be on the screen. We are different from the world and we have an effect on the world. The first thing Jesus is trying to show his disciples and show us this morning is that we are different from the world and we have an effect on the world. Uh, keep your Bibles open and because uh, we're just going to be dipping in on this passage, as always, as we work our way through. Uh, let's read verses 13 and 14 again. Um, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, Notice that when Jesus says that we are the salt, we said that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It wasn't a suggestion, right? He said, "You are salt. You are light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world." There's no ifs or buts or maybe's about it. He's not saying that that um, that, that you, you're like salt sometimes or you will be light sometime in the future. He's not saying that we should aspire to be salt and light. He's not saying that that we should sometimes be salt and light. He's saying that. We are salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is who we are. It's our purpose as his disciples. This is why we live in this world. It's why he has called us here. You see, I, I, I say this a lot, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's really important. Once you accept Jesus into your life, you're automatically tasked with the function of being salt and light in the world. If you're this is what I want to say. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. I don't know if that surprised you, but I'm going to keep saying that over and over and over and over again because it's true. If you love Jesus, then you're on mission. You're, what, you're what Paul calls, calls in, the, in, in his letters, you're a minister of the gospel. That means that you literally give out the gospel to people. That's your job. Mission isn't an optional extra for us. You can't decide I'm going to be salt here but not be salt some other place or I'm going to be light here and, and, and actually uh, be darkness some other place. You can't decide that. This is who you are. You're a new creation in Jesus and part of your new DNA as a new creation is that you are to show and share the good news of Jesus. He gives us this very real call for our lives. We are the salt and light of the world. It's as if God is saying, plan A for you, my followers, is to go into the world and to be salt and light. Attract people of your faithfulness, with your goodness, with your radical commitment to me. Follow me and I will make you attractive to people. And by the way, Jesus says, there is no plan B. We are God's plan for reaching the world. Did you know that? This is what God has done. He's, 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 given, he's given the world the church. This is why, and I'll come back to this later on, this is why I, I say this repeatedly. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. We are God's plan for reaching the world. And that's why he started with the Beatitudes. That's why Jesus starts with these lists of, of the characteristics of the kingdom to show us uh, what his followers are like, to show us that we are different, just as Chris showed us last week. But not only are we to be different to the world, we're to have an effect on the world. So uh, one thing that, that salt and light, I mean, pretty different concepts, right? But um, one thing they have in common is they have an effect, right? They have an effect on whatever they, they come into contact with. And this is really, really important. So um, have you ever been cooking and uh, put too much salt into something. Um, that happened in our house and all we could taste was salt and it was very funny, um, but you, you know, you're gasping for a drink. Um, it's, it, salt changes whatever it comes into contact with. So can, if someone knows salt's going to be very bland, someone with too much salt's going to be too salty, but someone with the right amount of salt is just going to be perfect. It's going to accentuate the flavors. Same with light. If you, turn, if you turn on a light in a dark room, the room's not dark anymore. It's actually light. Even the smallest light. We're different 
from the world. It's who we are and we have an effect on the world. And I think that Jesus uses these two things, salt and light, for the reason of showing us not that we will have an effect on the world, but exactly what those effects will be. So let's look at salt first. There's three things about salt, right, that I want to look at. Salt preserves, salt enhances flavor, and salt makes you thirsty. So we just use salt for a couple of things, don't we? We use it for uh, flavoring our food and stopping the roads getting too icy. That's essentially all we use salt for. But back in the ancient times of Jesus' day, it had far many more uses. We already looked at this. It was used as currency because it was so valuable. And the reason why it was so valuable was because it had so many uses. And one of the main things that salt was used for was um, for preserving food. So a number of years ago, before I met Haley, I lived in a flat with... Uh, uh, three other guys, so you can imagine it was a really, really nice place to be around. And in our fridge, we had what came to be called the mystery box. Has anyone, I don't know, this is disgusting. Uh, we had a mystery box. It was a Tupperware box. It was in the bottom of the fridge, and nobody knew what was in it, and nobody dared open it. That was just called the mystery box, and it was in there for, I don't know, it could have been in there for a year. And then finally one day, probably when we were moving out, I opened the box. Never open the box. Don't open the box. Uh, so I opened the box, and after I uh, recovered from passing out from the smell, the, what was in there was what I presume at one point had been chicken. Um, and it was disgusting. It was just a gloopy mess of mold and um, what looked like syrup, but I'm sure it didn't taste like syrup. It was disgusting. Um, anyway, the point is that in the days before fridges, Salt was used to stop that from happening. Salt was rubbed into meat to act as a preservative. So you still get this. I think that's how they make jerky. I think definitely that's how they make, like, in South Africa, they do biltong. It's really, really good. And they just rub salt into, into meat, and it dries it out, and it preserves it, and it keeps for months and months and months. Salt was rubbed into meat to cure it and preserve it. And, and we, Jesus is saying, are, are the salt that gets rubbed into the world to stop it decaying, to slow the rot down. Now, we probably don't have to look too far to see that the world is rotten and decaying, do we? I mean, just, just go on to social media and see the way that people interact with each other. Or, or, look at, or look at, look at the, what happened in Christchurch last week. Or, or look at, just this week, 200 Christians killed in, in, in Nigeria. Or, or you know what I read? Uh, I read last night, um, I don't know if you've seen that petition, the online petition going around about Brexit, and we're not getting into Brexit right now, but the woman who started that has been receiving death threats. Death threats! Or what about... Celebration on the streets of Dublin over the right to kill unborn babies. Actually, even now, I was reading discussion about um, actual politicians really discussing post, post-birth abortions. <laughs> Let that sink in. You don't have to look too far to see that the world is decaying. You don't have to see, look too far to see that things are going, quite frankly, to hell in a handbasket, as the saying goes. You don't have to look too far to see that things are, are not the way they're meant to be. And Jesus says, you, we are the salt of the earth. We're the salt that's rubbed into the world to slow that decay. And that means that sometimes that we have to speak up and act against injustice. It means that we have to lovingly call out our friends when they're living in ways that are harming themselves and others. It means that sometimes you'll have to have the unpopular opinion because salt stings, doesn't it? Me and Haley always laugh about this thing because uh, apparently our, our dads both had the same thing. If you have a cut in your leg or something, they would just tell us to run into the sea, right? Because the sea would, the salt water would clean it out. But it stings, or, or I remember a few years ago, I had a throat infection and the doctor just told me to gargle salt water. That does not taste good. Gargling salt water does not taste good, but it's good for me. And the point is this, it tasted really bad at the time, but it was actually really good for me. It's the same with us. God has given us a voice in the world. He's put us here for a reason. And sometimes people are not gonna like what we have to say or what we do, but the wisdom of God is always good for people. 
This is why, this is why God tells us in Ephesians 5 that we are to take, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We're to call out what is wrong in the world and to stand up for what is right. You see, that, that piece of chicken, whatever it was, in the mystery box in my fridge, that couldn't do anything else except rot. That's all it could do. It's in its nature to rot. And so we shouldn't be surprised that meat rots, and, the same, and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be any more surprised that the world for, for sinning and, 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 and decaying and, and living immoral lives, any more than we should be surprised at a piece of meat for rotting. It just can't do anything else. It's in its nature. But we're called to act in, a way, in the way of Jesus, to be salt and to actually be a moral voice in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that we're always going around protesting and pointing the finger. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And the last thing, quite frankly, that Northern Ireland needs is more Christians sitting on their high horses telling people what's wrong. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Here's the point about how salt preserves meat. It's in amongst the meat. It's rubbed into the meat. You're not going to preserve anything. You're sitting on your high horse far away from people and just telling them they're wrong all the time. We're in amongst the decay. We're rubbed into the meat. Surrounded by the meat. Acting in ways that, that slow and go against the decay. Can you imagine what the world would be like today if, if there was no church? Think of all the things that have happened over the course of the last 2,000 years. Christians are the ones who abolish slavery. Christians have always been the ones who have provided education and health care for people who didn't have it or couldn't afford it. Christian schools have provided education for, for millions of children across the world in places where it isn't even provided. Even, even all the nations in the Western world are built on Christian values. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about church and state. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we have these Christian values that are built into our laws. So it's illegal to kill and rape and steal because we are, our nations are built on these Christian values. It's why we have freedom of speech. It's why we have this sense of moral decency, although that's obviously being called into question more and more now. God has, and he always will, until Jesus returns and fulfills his kingdom, use the church to be his moral voice in the world. And we get a bit, we get a bit squirmy, don't we, when we think about this stuff? We don't, like, we don't like this idea of Christianity. We don't like having to say, actually, the way the world is is wrong, because we don't, we don't want to rub people up the wrong way. And so sometimes we keep quiet when we should speak up. Sometimes we stay still when we should act. But we are called to be salt in the world. It's a big part of living in the kingdom here and now. We need to live and speak out against racism and homophobia and oppression in every sphere of our lives. And when we live like a preservative, we help to slow down the rate of moral decay. So that's salt that preserves. But also I said that salt adds flavor, right? So I love chips. I know you can't tell from my chiseled physique, but I do love chips. Um, but I just won't eat chips without salt. Yesterday, I took the kids to Burger King, and they didn't have salt in their chips, and they were disgusting, but mine had salt, and they were lovely. That's the thing. Salt makes chips taste great. They bring out the flavor of the chips, or maybe it's just the salt I like. I don't know. But we're here to add flavor to the world. We're here to live the kind of life that will, will show other people that following Jesus will enhance their lives like nothing else can. We're here to help people discover joy. Peace, grace, and God's love. John, uh, Jesus says in John 10 that, that he came to bring life in all its fullness. This is what we have to offer the world. True life, everlasting life, abundant life, life in all its fullness. We bring out the full flavor of life. I wonder if people looked at your life, do they say, man, that, that person has life in all its fullness? That's a good question to ponder over, isn't it? In a culture obsessed by, by money and looks and success and fame, we live and speak in such a way that it shows people 
That, that, that what real life is all about. That, that Jesus is better than having thousands of, of Instagram followers. That Jesus is better than having thousands of pounds in the bank. That Jesus is better than having the perfect relationship. That in fact the only way that we can ever enjoy those things in the first place is because God, Jesus has given them to us by his grace. The only way we'll be able to enjoy them is in Jesus. And so I wonder is that what people experience whenever they're around us? And this is what I've been pondering over in my own uh, mind and my own heart this week. Is that what people experience when they're around me? Or do they just experience me talking about how tired and busy I am all the time and how hard things are? There's people in this room and they really show me what it is to live life in all its fullness. It doesn't mean that they're off bungee jumping in New Zealand all the time or whatever you think living life to the full is. It just means that they have, they have life in them. They have joy in them. And this is what we're called to show people. So we're, we're to act as preservatives. We're to add flavor. And then thirdly, salt makes you thirsty, doesn't it? Salt makes you thirsty. Jesus is saying, live the kind of life that's going, going to make people thirst for the truth about me. So what happens if you eat a big bag of ready salted crisps? As I obviously never do. Well, you need a drink. Or if you're one of those weird people that I don't understand at all, that go to the cinema and order salted popcorn. Like, why would you ever do that? Anyway, I don't get that. But if you eat salted popcorn, <laughs> it's all about the sugar. Get the sugar on there for me. If you eat salted popcorn, you need a big drink of Coke to wash it down. I just wash the sugary popcorn down with Coke as well. So, Salt makes you thirsty. And we're in this, uh, we're in, we are salt in the world, so we are to make the world thirsty, Right? We're to live with character and actions and attitudes that reflect Jesus in our lives. And when you do this, you're demonstrating Jesus in a very real way. And it makes people thirst because in their eyes, you suddenly become attractive. If I put it simply, it would be this. The job of Christians is to make the world thirsty for what they have. We are to make the world thirsty for what we have. Live in such a way that makes people around us want what we have. I wonder when people look at our lives and experience us, do they, do they want what we have? Uh, Psalm 34, verse 8. One of my, I say this every week. One of my favorite scriptures. I always say that, but I'm going to probably say it a lot more. Um, it says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Experience for yourself how good God is. This is what we're called to be. This is what our lives are, are like. We are to, to live in such a way that it just invites people, hey, you need to try this because this is so good. Yesterday, we were out for lunch and um, it was one of the best meals I've had in a long time and I was just enjoying it, really good food and really good wine. And everyone I've met, well, I've, since then, I've been saying, this is, man, this is so good. You need to go try that. It's really, really good. This was good. This was good. But that's what it's like for us. We should, have, we, should, we should have such a grasp of the flavor of Jesus that we just want to share it with other people. I wonder, our, do our lives say to people, taste and see that the Lord is good? So we're salt. We're here to preserve. We're here to add flavor. And we're here to make the world thirsty for what we have. But what about light? He uses light as well. We've already seen that light is valuable. In the time of Jesus. But what about the effect of light? What does light do, right? What does light do? Helps you see. That's all that light's there for. It makes you see. If you're sitting, uh, if you're sitting, in, a, a, if you're sitting in a dark room and you're trying to read, what do you do? You turn on the lamp so you can see the pages to read. If you're in a room where you don't need more light, you don't go and turn on the light. The point is, the sole purposes of light the sole purpose of light is to let us see. And this is what we are as Christians. We are to let people see. We're to help people see. We're given to the world so that people can see. Think about when, um, I don't know if you know this story, but when, when the Apostle Paul became a, a Christian, when he met Jesus for the first time, so he wasn't always a Christian. In fact, he killed Christians. He put them in prison. He persecuted them. Um, and he met Jesus. Jesus appeared to him on the road and um, his life was radically changed. And, and Jesus said to him, ironically in this, Jesus made him blind, but um, Jesus said to him that his mission would be this, and this is a quote from Acts 28, verse 18. 
His mission would be to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's mission, our mission, is to turn, uh, is to open people's eyes so they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. In other words, we're to be a light to people who are in darkness. We've already seen this, and, and I could stand, we could stand here all day and we could talk about examples of the world being in darkness, right? We don't have to do that. You already know. We've already talked about a few of these things, and that's just things that have been in the media this week. The world is in darkness. It's the same as it decaying. Everyone's mis- misguided, misguided. Everyone's blind. Everyone's trying to find their own path, and it just doesn't work. It's like we're groping around in the dark. And Jesus uses these two metaphors of decay and darkness to show the state of the world. And this was us before we met Jesus, right? We were blind, weren't we? Ephesians 5 tells us that you were formerly darkness. Not even that you were in the dark, you were darkness. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Whenever Paul's writing this to the Ephesian church, I just think that he's, he's spoken to Matthew, and he says, Matthew, what did Jesus say about, about um, being salt and light? And he's like, that's it. We are light in the Lord. We walk as children of light. The world is dark, and we are the light. Wherever we go, whoever we're with, we are to be the light of Jesus. This means showing people that the way they're thinking about something is wrong and misguided. It means shining a light on the unreliability of all the things that people put their hope in. And so as you go to work or uni or or whatever you do this week, ask yourself this question. How can I shine the light of Jesus to the people I'm around this week? How can I be the light of Jesus to people? Now you might be thinking, well, uh, hang on, I, I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Don't we teach that? Didn't Jesus teach that? And he does, he, that's true, he, he, did, he does. Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. So how can Jesus say, you are the light of the world, but also say, I am the light of the world? Um, well, let me give you an example. So it may be an overused example, but I think it makes a lot of sense. So the other night I was like walking the dog, and it was a really, really clear night. And I walk him down by the river and there's trees and stuff and, and the moon was so bright. And I was, out of, I was out of the street lights. I was in a dark place, but it was so bright that I could actually, see, you could see, like you could see in detail because the moon was so bright. Or another example is last year, me and Haley were in Canada and we were in the middle of nowhere, like no, no uh, um, street lights or anything like that around. And uh, the moon was so bright that you could, it was just like, It wasn't like daylight, but you could walk around and see clearly. But the point is this. On a really dark night, the moon can let us see, but it only shines because the sun shines on it. Right? The the, the moon isn't a light source. It's just a useless hunk of rock circling around the earth. That's all it is. Doesn't do anything. It just hangs there and lets the sun reflect off it. I mean, obviously it controls the tides and all that kind of stuff. It's really important. But my point for this metaphor It doesn't do anything except let the sun shine on it. I'm just standing here in the sky and I'm letting the sun be reflected off me. That's why we can see at night because the sun reflects on the moon and the moon shines in us. This is what we're called to be. We don't have light. We we, we aren't the source of the light, but we've received the light, haven't we? We've received the light of Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, and and I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm the only nerd in the room, but um, you know, his journey from, from atheism to faith is, uh, to Christianity is just incredible. And he said this, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen. The sun has risen, that's S-U-N. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. What is he saying? He's saying that not only do you see Jesus, but Jesus is the thing that helps you see everything else so clearly. Jesus isn't just the sun in the sky to blind us. He's the light source that helps us make sense of everything else around us. This is the whole point. We are the light that reflects the light. We are illuminated by the source of illumination. 
And so we live in a way that is light in the darkness, a, a way that points to Jesus. So the challenge for us this morning is this. I mean, there's lots of challenge in this, but here's the challenge at this point. Do we live lives that point to Jesus? Do we live lives that, 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 that reflect the light of Jesus? Are we living in such a way that we're salt and light? Are we preserving society? Are we adding flavor to society? Are we making people thirsty for the kingdom of God? Are we lighting up the darkness of the world to show people Jesus? And this leads us on to our next point. So we've seen that we're different to the world and we're to have an effect in the world. The second thing Jesus is trying to show us is that we need to not lose our effectiveness. We're going to read verses 13 to 15 again. In which Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if, a, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. And it gives light to all in the house. Now, maybe you're thinking, hold on a minute. Uh, Jesus said that, that we are salt and light and you've just told us that this is part of who we are but now you're saying that it's possible to not be those things well that's not what Jesus is saying Jesus is saying that that we are salt and light but it's possible as salt and light to lose our effectiveness right he's saying uh, that that it's sometimes you can be salt that's not that salty or sometimes you can be a light that's covered right so the thing about this is uh, salt is always salt it's always chemically sodium chloride. That's what salt is, right? You learn that in, 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 in GCSE science or whatever you do. Sodium chloride. But in Jesus' time, they didn't know about chemical makeups and all that kind of stuff. In Jesus' time, because salt was so precious and rare, it would often be cut with other things like, like drugs or something, right? It would be cut with dust and rocks, and it would be impure. And, may, and maybe um, if you're getting it from the sea, there would be sand and stuff in it. And so it might look like salt, it might, be, it might, be, it might you know, look like grains of salt, but what you've got in there is dust and dirt. It would be impure. It looked like salt, but it was mostly dust. Think of the grit that goes in the road. It's funny that Jesus used that very example. And the point is this, when salt is contaminated with other things, it loses its effectiveness. It loses its saltiness. And just like salt gets contaminated, we can get contaminated, can't we? It's totally possible for Christians to be so infused with the values of the world that we lose all effectiveness in the world. Let me say that again. It's totally possible for us to be so infused with the values of the world that we lose all effectiveness in the world. What does this look like, you might ask? Well, it looks like, it, it looks like Christians here are no different from the world around us. So we go along with the values of the world. We adopt the same sexual ethic. We adopt the same, we adopt the same, value, or the same uh, principles when handling our money or raising our kids or, or, or friendships or relationships. It looks like Christians who don't stand up against injustice. It looks like Christians who live without compassion. It looks like Christians who don't befriend people that have no friends. It looks like Christians who don't care for the needy and the sick and the poor. It looks like Christians who don't have a moral voice in the world. It looks like Christians who aren't generous with their money. It looks like Christians who aren't hospitable with their homes and their time. It looks like Christians who don't stand up for the oppressed. Christians whose only difference to the world is that they go to church for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. And what does Jesus say about this kind of life? He said it's worth nothing except being thrown out and used as grit on the roads. It's so possible for us to be completely ineffective. But light can also lose its effectiveness, can't it? In verse 15, Jesus says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So light or salt loses effectiveness by becoming contaminated. Light loses effectiveness by being covered up. Now this reminded me of um, when I was a kid and um, I was a bit of a nerd. Um, used to be, used to be a nerd. Not anymore, obviously. Um, and I used to, when I go to bed, be like, you know, t time to go to sleep. I'd be like reading under the duvet with a, a, a torch. Um, yep, nerd. 
Um, and the point is, like, when, you're, when, the, when the torch is under the blankets, it doesn't seem that bright. But if you, like, take the torch out, it lights up the whole room. Or, like, sometimes, like, I'll drive Haley crazy because I'll, like, left my phone and in the dark room. It's, like, spotlight, you know, kind of thing. It's, but if I turn my phone on here, it's not that bright at all. But in a dark room, it's so bright. And Jesus is saying that we should be like that phone in a dark room, right? We shouldn't be hiding our light under the duvet. And there's two dangers for Christians that Jesus warned us about here. And, and we, we see this in modern Christianity a lot. We see it in Northern Ireland a lot, actually. We see it in all over the West. But there's two things that happen with Christians. And, both, and each relates to salt and light. Either we hide our light, right? So we cover our light. So we become so focused on we're going to be a good Bible-believing Christian. We're going to be a good Bible-believing church. And, and, and suddenly our building has barbed wire around it and fences up. And we never interact with anyone who's not a Christian. And we hide our light like that. Or we become like salt that's contaminated. We bend over backwards to accommodate the world that we end up adopting all the world's values. And in the end, that people can't even tell if, that there's any difference between us and the world except the fact that we go to church on a Sunday morning. That's kind of what happens, isn't it? I'm sure we've, we've both been those kinds of things and we've seen those kinds of things. But what we want to do as Christians, what Jesus is telling us to do, and what we seek to be as a church, and we should seek to be as individuals, is to be in the world, but not of the world. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. My dad used to say, um, I've said this before to you guys, I think. Uh, he used to say, you know, like, a ship isn't made. He, you know, he would never have any um, real issues. Uh, but he would say, like, a ship isn't made to stay in the harbor. A ship is made to go out in the stormy sea. And that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to, to be in the world. We're meant to be in the world and be different from the world. And guess what? That's okay because Jesus says, I'm going to be with you until the end of the world. It's okay. Yeah, it might be in the middle of a storm, but I'm with you. Sometimes I think that, that all we have to do is just to make sure that uh, the people we interact with know that we're Christians, right? So you're like, well, I'm doing okay. Oh, yeah, they know I'm a Christian. But that's not enough. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What's the point of people knowing I'm a Christian if it has no effect on their lives? We're to be different to the world and have an effect on the, on the world. So what kind of salt are you? Are you like the, you like the, you know Salt Bay? You like that kind of salt? The, the pure white salt that, that makes mm, just a, a, a meal just come together? Or are you like the grit that goes in the road? And what kind of light have you? Are you, are you like the torch that's under the duvet? Or, or is the, the duvet pulled back and you're lighting up the whole room? Why does this matter, you might be asking? Because I've been asking this all week. Why does this matter? I'm saved and going to heaven. Yes, everyone's great for me. Why does this matter? Well, this is our last point this morning. So that God gets the glory. And this is the most important thing. Verse 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give Glory to your Father who is in heaven. What's the point of being salt and light? The glory of God is the point. It's all about the glory of God. It's all about giving to God what is owed and due to him. This is why every human being that has ever lived was created. And one day, every human being that has ever been created is going to stand before Jesus and confess that he is Lord. So we've got to start doing that now. The single, the single purpose of your life is to give glory to God. The single purpose of your life is to give glory to God. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. And I, how often do we think about this? Because I've got to be honest, I don't think about it that much. Right? How often do we consciously think, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to meet friends today. I'm going to do that for the glory of God. I'm going to be changing a lot of nappies today. I'm going to do that for the glory of God. I'm going to be going to work today. I'm going to do that for the glory of God. 
Because this is why we're here. This is what we live for. And I would say that most of us, if we feel unfulfilled in our lives, it's because we're not living for the glory of God. So if you're unfulfilled in your job, do it for the glory of God. If you're unfulfilled in your marriage, be married for the glory of God. If you're unfulfilled in your singleness, be single for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever situation you find yourself in, God has put you there so that he will be glorified. And you don't realize the ways that you can glorify God, but he's got you there because he needs you to glorify him. See, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. The church is God's primary method for spreading the gospel. This is why we planted this church. This is why this church is a church planting church. This is why we're supporting church plants in Turkey. This is why we're going to keep planting more church, be, churches because there's nothing more effective for change in a neighborhood than a community of people who love Jesus and who live out the kingdom of God. Nothing more effective. And I hope that in our MCs this week, as we meet together and, and share food or whatever you do, that we can talk about these things. How can we do these things? What does this look like for us? You see, we've been entrusted by God to go into the world and to take the message of Jesus Christ into our homes. We forget that one so often, don't we? We forget that, that we've been entrusted to, to be salt and light in our homes. It's kind of like whenever we come home, we forget. We're just like, I'm home. But there's nowhere more important to be salt and light than in your home. Let me just tell you that. That's absolutely true. We're called to take the message of Jesus to our workplaces, to our communities, to our football teams, to our schools, our coffee shops, our pubs, whatever you go, whatever you do, to show them who Jesus is and what his amazing kingdom is like. It's interesting, and we're nearly done, that Jesus says uh, that, that, that it's actually other people will give glory to our Father who's in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The people, uh, when we are salt and light in the world, other people are gonna see that and they're gonna give glory to God. In other words, you being salt and light is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is about mission. And the people around you are only gonna know God is worth giving glory to if they see from us that, that he is worth giving glory to. How else will he see that he's worth giving glory to? And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, this sounds great, but I don't know how to do that. I want to uh, say this thing that, that's just been on my mind a lot recently, and, and I've, I've spoke to a few people, and the same kind of things come up. Um, a lot of people my age, and maybe younger, or maybe slightly older as well, we grew up, if you grew up in the church, we grew up during a time when you were told you were going to change the world. Uh, do you remember that song, uh, History Makers? Who remembers that song, History Makers? Right. Jesus never promised me that I was going to change the world. Jesus never promised me that I was going to be a history maker. But what he did promise me is that I was going to be salt and light in my life. And maybe you're disappointed because you haven't stood in front of 3,000 people and they've all got saved and they're glorifying God. Being salt and light is just about being Jesus in your sphere of influence. Maybe your sphere of influence is 3,000 people. Maybe your sphere of influence is really small. Maybe it's two neighbors and your sister or something. I don't know. It's just about faithfully being Jesus in your sphere of influence. Maybe it's just that few uh, neighbors or family members or, or people you work with. And that's okay. In fact, it's more than okay. That's amazing. That's what you were called to do. I, just even this week, just uh, the last couple of weeks, just with a, with, with a guy that, that we know and, and just seeing some of that fruit of being a faithful presence over years and seeing someone start to uh, slightly be softer and more receptive. Being a faithful presence uh, to the people in your life uh, for years and years is way more be beneficial to the kingdom than trying to start a revolution. And some of you might start revolutions, and that's great. And when you do, I'll be there as your biggest cheerleader. But most of us are just going to be quietly being faithful presences to the people around us. Um, I want to read this section of a letter uh, that was written uh, sometime in the, the 100s AD. So the church was very new and very young. 
And it gives you this fascinating insight into, into what the church was like. And, and this is someone who's not a Christian writing to someone who's not a Christian and he's describing this new religion of Christianity. And this is what he says. He, call, he, he describes what, what he calls their wonderful and striking way of life. Imagine people said that about us. Wow, they have a wonderful and striking way of life. And this is part of the letter. He says this, Christians marry as all others do. They beget children, but they do not commit, commit infanticide. In other words, they don't kill their children. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They, they obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. In other words, they go above and beyond. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. To sum it up, as the soul is in the body, so Christians are in the world. The soul is dispersed through all members of the body and Christians are scattered through all the cities of the world. And that I can't think of a, 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 I can't think of a better way of talking about salt than that. Salt and light permeate. As the soul is in the body and it just permeates your whole body. So that's what we're like. This person uh, noticing this wonderful and striking way of life. Is, wouldn't it be wonderful if that's the way we were known? I want to finish with an example of my dad. Uh, and he, um, so he, he, he passed away 15 years ago next month. And he was a really good example of being salt and light. So when he died, um, he, uh, he, was like a, he was like a wash machine repairman, right? So um, just like a normal working dude. And he was in people's houses. That's all he did. He went to people's houses all day long and fixed their stuff. And, and when he died, my mom uh, started to get these letters <laughs> really weirdly. And it wasn't just like one or two. It was quite a few of these letters. And all of them had this common theme. And the common theme was that, that my dad had impacted their lives with the gospel. Isn't that, isn't that a weird thing? He's just like a, just a repairman going around. I say just a repairman, but look at what God did there. Just humbly, being salt and light. I remember him telling me this story of like, um, he went into someone's house. They had, he had an appointment to go there. And it turned out some, the, the, the woman's mom had just died. And there was like kind of the priest there giving last rites as he walked in. And, 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 and in that moment, he's able to pray with them and share the gospel with them. That's salt and light. That's easy. We can do that. And there's, there's people that are going to be in heaven because of him just being faithful. Isn't that incredible? I'm really proud of him, by the way. So let me finish with these four questions that I want us to ask ourselves. And I ask them to myself as well. Think about these things just quietly. Maybe uh, think about them throughout the week. Does the way I live my life point to Jesus? Do people see my good deeds? Does the way I live make life better for those who know me? Do people experience me and say, I want what they have? Let me, ask, let me say these things again and so you can remember them. Does the way I live my life point to Jesus? Do people see my good deeds? Does the way I live make life better for those who know me? And do people experience me and say, I want what they have? We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Let's pray.